And then I had another job where I was spokesperson and it was a living nightmare. It was 24 seven, literally 24 seven. One time where we, my, me and my entire team had to take shifts working at night. And because of that, and I was very pregnant and maybe I should have put my foot down and said, you know, you can't do this to us or I can't do it because I'm pregnant. But I was the boss. I wasn't about to do that when my team is each taking a night shift that I wasn't going to do the same. And the next day I landed in the hospital with early labor pains. And my doctor was like, what do you think you're doing? Staying up late at night, working, doing an all nighter. Are you in school? That was how she responded. And I was like, no, I, this was my job. And she was like, yeah, no, this has to stop right now. Or you're going to have a preterm labor and you don't want that. And this is the most important thing. I don't care what your boss says. Is there really such a thing as Superman or Superwoman? Being a working parent can sometimes feel overwhelming trying to balance the responsibilities of parenthood while showing up fully at work can lead to burnout, anxiety, and that nagging feeling that you aren't doing the best that you can at the office or at home. Add to that high pressure environment, in this case, working in the US government on national security issues, and the pressure increases exponentially. So how do they do it? Turns out Superman and Superwoman only exist in our imagination. In real life, working parents are very human. They show up, they struggle, they learn, and they are always trying their best. And that, in my book, makes them extraordinary. To learn more about how to navigate being a working mom under pressure, I spoke to Hagar Hajar Chamali. Hagar's journey has taken her from the high stakes world of national security to starting her own show, Oh My World, a political satire that aims to educate the next generation and get them excited about foreign policy. In 2012, Hagar was regularly briefing then-President Obama on Syria and Lebanon during the height of the Arab Spring, and later served as the spokesperson for the United States mission to the UN in New York City before making the difficult decision to leave government service and start her own business. We talked about the importance of leadership, and how having a good boss or a bad boss can make or break your career. We also talked about how to balance motherhood while building your own startup. Hint, you have to sleep every once in a while. Why it's important to build and nurture a network of champions and how, as Hagar's mother tells her, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Hi everyone, and welcome back to MindWork, where we're on a mission to transform mental health in the workplace one story at a time. I'm your host, Jasmine Elgamal. Hi, Hagar. Hi, Jasmine. How are you? I'm good. It's so good to see your face. You too. I'm so happy that you agreed to do this because I feel like we have so much to talk about. When I was thinking about what we were going to talk about in this episode, I literally had to write things down and then just cross out and eliminate. Otherwise, it would be a five-hour episode. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, it'll be a miracle if we don't talk all day. For the value of the listener, we'll make sure that we keep it concise and tight. <laughs> so I've known you, obviously, for many, many years. We were working in government together when I first started working in government. I think you had started before me, but you were at the Treasury Department when I started at the Department of Defense. And just so the listeners know, we worked together for years. You were working on Syria and Lebanon. I was working on Syria and Lebanon. So we got to spend a lot of good quality time together in government. And then you went out and you started doing your own thing. I remember about halfway through your time in government, we were walking through, we were walking down a hallway. I don't remember where it was. It was either at the Pentagon or the White House. And I remember you saying to me, Jazz, I'm going to have my own show one day. That's what I really want to do. And I just remember believing you completely. You had always struck me as just such a badass and so, so determined and so focused and someone who was just like, if I'm going to do this, if I want to do this, I'm just going to do it. And you have, <laughs> you have, you have your own show. It's called Oh My World. And I love it. I love your show. I tell everybody about it. And Thank I want you. you to tell people a little bit about it. But what I wanted to talk to you about in this episode, because I think this is where you have, you, you really went through a lot going from government to being a consultant to just completely starting your own thing 
might I add, while having a third child. So I want to get into all of that. I feel like people have a lot to learn from you. So yeah, why don't we just get started? I mean, how? why don't you tell me what was that moment when you decided that you were ready, if there is such a thing, that you felt brave enough or supported enough or both to go out, leave your job and you know, try to do your own thing, start out on your own path. Why don't you tell me, tell me a little bit about that? Oh, so first for those listening, you have to know, I have like the biggest grin ear to ear right now because this <laughs> it's, you're really taking me down memory lane. And I do remember this conversation and telling people too, when I was in government, like I was like, I'm going to have my own show and you'll see. And, 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 you know, all of us, especially when you were in government, we were used to a kind of a traditional way of going about things. So you would take one job and then you would move up the ranks. And and I always had, as a rule, I was a big planner. So I always had a, a plan in place and I knew, you know, I step A would lead to step B and then to step C and so on. And then but launching your own show is a whole different story. But when I said that at that time, to be fair, I really did think that my own show would be with a big network. And so when I left government at the time, it was 2016. I left when my second boy was born. And I left because, not because I wanted to leave government. I really didn't want to leave government at that time. But I wasn't in a job. I was communications director at the U.S. Mission to the U.N. and spokesperson. And it wasn't a job that at all was very amenable to having two young children, especially a newborn. And I wasn't happy in that job. And I just, I knew I was like, I said, you know, it was time to go. So I left when my second was born, but I, but I launched my first business, my consulting business, the, the literally the week after my, I ended my, my government tenure. And yeah. when I did that, to be fair, it sounds so simple and so smooth. And I did get clients right away. I was doing consulting and PR and, but when I was making the decision, it was really difficult because I had only known government my whole life and loved being in the government. And when I was talking to my parents and my husband, who were the biggest support network at that time, especially when you're home with a baby, telling them, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should leave. And they looked at me like I was crazy because I was really genuinely miserable in my job. And yeah. they, they were like, how, how can you willingly put yourself back in that position? Like, how is this even a question? Yeah. How are you not seeing what we see? How is this a question? You don't need to do this to yourself. You've been in government for 12 years. You have a lot of skill and credibility to rely on. You could do whatever you want, but government was all I knew. And it was my safe space really. And it felt like I was jumping off a cliff without knowing anything afterward, because I wasn't even moving to the private sector the way most people do. I wasn't interviewing and getting a job at some firm. Um, I was just starting my own business. And I told my mom, I remember one day I told her, I said, you know, I just, I guess I'm a little afraid. How do I even start this thing? How do I get clients? How does this even work? And she looked at me and she said, and I'm going to do the accent because every time I, I, I channel my mom, who's Lebanese, I have to do her <laughs> accent. Just, you know, how God, you have nothing to fear, but fear itself. And then, but, oh, and that's, love that's such a cliche <laughs> statement and so short, but she was so right when she said that. I was like, yeah, you're right. I have nothing to fear, but fear itself. And then she egged me on further, right? She was like, yeah. She was like, if this doesn't work, you have all this experience and credibility, then you go out and true. you find another job. I was like, yeah, you're right. And so, so true. I left, I gave, because I was in PR, I gave myself a little rollout when I announced my business. And then just by announcing the clients came and then through word of mouth and government friends, more and more friends came. And so that business worked out really great. It was very lucrative, but it wasn't, I didn't love it. What I loved was being mm. my own boss and I loved having flexibility and I loved having time that I didn't have in government to have, to, to go to panel discussions and, and meet friends for lunch and, and so on. But the work itself was not, it wasn't very mission-based and I missed that having been in government. I also at the same time was doing a lot of commentating for the networks. And I still do. I still go on CNN and NBC and, and MSNBC and all of them to break down all, you know, foreign policy and so on. As you do, you know, and well, I, I'm sure both of us have the same, we both love the same things in it. I love, on one hand, I love the glamour of it. I love the lights and the studio and all of it. 
But deep down, it's that I love talking and I love explaining these things. I explaining, genuinely nerd exactly. out about them. Yeah. People ask me all the time. My show is all geopolitics all over the world. And so the majority of it is obviously depressing news. And they're like, how do you explain it with so much positivity and energy? And I'm like, because it's, I'm, I'm actually nerding out. That's what's happening. When I think about what's happening, it's actually extremely depressing and, and will bring me down. Often when I'm preparing the show, sometimes it's really upsetting, but but I'm the energy of it. The positivity is because I love explaining it that much. So anyway, the aha moment that I had when I decided I was ready to launch my show, my own show was I was doing all this commentating for the networks spending, you know, I was doing five, at least five media appearances a week. Each media appearance you have to think about takes about four to five hours between getting yeah. yourself ready. For me, it was getting into the city. This was before the pandemic. So everything was in person and I wasn't getting paid for any of it. And a mentor of mine, and I'm very into my mentors. I call them my champions. Uh, her name is Gretchen Carlson. If she sounds familiar, it's because yeah. she was an anchor on Fox news and she sued Roger Ailes for sexual yes. harassment uh, yes. and won, won her case. And, and, and basically was a key part in launching the Me Too movement. Um, you know, yeah. it, was, it was a real milestone in that. And so she's one of my good friends and mentors. And she took me out to lunch. She asked me to lunch in April of 2019. And she was like, you know, Hagar, I'm watching you on TV and you're great, but you're not getting paid and that has to stop. And I told mm. her, I was like, you know, I'm trying to, I'm doing everything. I, everything the way you're supposed to. And this is what I mean by the step A to step B to step C. I'm doing the commentating. I'm making, the, I'm doing all the networks so that they can get jealous with each other. I'm talking to the talent execs. You know, I'm, I'm doing what I can. And she was like, well, you either, you need to go in there into the talent folks and tell them you're getting paid or you're not doing it. And, uh, or you need to think of something more creative because this is not working. And I told mm. her, I was like, you know, the future is not cable news. You and I both know that the numbers are pretty dismal and I love yeah. doing it. Don't get me wrong. And it's not that I don't believe in it. And I think these networks will adapt and they will be fine, but their numbers are in the hundreds of thousands. And yeah. when you, and when you look at other shows and, and what you can achieve on YouTube, when you reach the masses and my goal was as a mission was to really reach the young masses, cable yeah. news didn't make sense. And so she was like, Yes, I agree with everything. You got to just, you have to change. Whatever it is, you got to change. You got to, you have to change your situation and figure it out and be creative and totally do digital media. But like this, what you're doing is not working. Can I just say for a, for a minute though, that is such, I feel like, especially in the world of media and journalism, that type of championing and a conversation from woman to woman is rare. So rare. Yes. So that's amazing that she was sorry to cut you off. But I mean, I just that's such it's, it's it really shows how if you take the time to mentor and to and to and to support other women as women, like it's just amazing what we can do. So I just wanted to highlight that because I think that was really great of her. Yeah. Oh, and I I I always go back to this moment when people ask me, when did you decide to do Oh My World? How did this happen? And it's it was that lunch. I remember walking out of that lunch feeling completely suddenly empowered. Like she's right. Oh. You know, like I'm gonna do this. And I didn't know what this was. I yeah I but I knew I was I had a plan. I was like, I'm gonna go pitch myself to every network and platform as a foreign policy fun person who explains this stuff and someone will take me. That's when I walked away from that lunch. That's what I had in mind. So I then started thinking of the idea itself. I was like, I'm going to pitch people on a show, on a short show. And it started, it evolved. I saw, I was that weekend. I remember watching Fareed Zakaria on CNN and, you know, sorry Fareed, but you know, it comes off. It's, it's a show to put it nicely for an audience that is probably largely in Washington, D.C. only, that is already geeking out on foreign policy. And it comes off a little elitist and dry. Yeah. Sorry for you, yeah. you know, but it's true. And you watch it and half the stuff he says is, is almost incomprehensible. And I hate that. I myself am a foreign policy person. I went to the, the right schools and I have the right degrees. And I think it's absurd that this is an issue that people turn off this show or they tune these issues out because it's a bunch of dry old men talking like this. Like, ah, 
No, these are issues that matter. We don't need to add superfluous vocabulary to make it sound like we're smart. That's absurd. And so it, it made me angry watching it because I was like, this is not okay because these issues matter. And it is because it is conveyed this way in a dry, elitist way with words that half the half the world don't understand that people tune out. They're like, I can't understand what's happening in Russia. I can't understand how, Ethiopia. Why would I care about that? Right. I can't even understand what they're saying. And so I, when I saw that, I was like, okay, I have to do Fareed Zakaria's show for a younger audience in a comprehensible language <laughs> and in a more fun way. It's so funny that you say that and that you use that example. I think years ago, I think I wrote some monstrous Facebook rant like years and years ago about Fareed Zakaria and his show because I think <laughs> nothing against the guy personally but I think he had just done some sort of special called like why do they hate us how are we still having this conversation how do we still think that this is the thing and this is the question that we need to be asking and it's exactly that bubble I mean the bubble you and I were in that bubble for so long and it wasn't until I actually left DC and left the country and went to Lebanon that I really, when I saw it from the outside and I was like, we were just talking to each other the whole time. This whole time we were yeah. all just talking yes. to each other. So that's <laughs> yes. what you're talking about. And, and that show is meant for people who want to talk to each other. So, I mean, carry on, but I just wanted to point out that for you to look at that and identify what needed to be done I think was just such a huge moment because it's so easy to just keep going, to just keep doing the same thing over and over again and never to say, but wait a minute, do you think high school kids who are actually going to be the leaders of the future are watching Fareed's show? And if not, then maybe I have something to say to them. And that's yeah. what you did. Hell to the no, they are not watching Fareed's <laughs> show. <laughs> and, and, it, and that's... And that's a problem because it's, yeah. and, and you know it more than, you know it just as much as I do because you also do commentating. When foreign policy is the first thing to get canceled and networks believe that foreign policy is the thing that interests people the least. And I'm like, it's because of how we are conditioned to explain it or not explain it. So of course, if you're going to go up there, and by the way, it's the same for me half the time for domestic news. You know, when they just assume that I'm going to understand something of how something in Congress works. And I'm like, yeah, I'm literally zoning out as you speak and, and therefore I'm not going to listen. Because if you don't walk it back for me and say... This is how things are in Congress and therefore blah, 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 right? If you don't walk it back and give a backgrounder, then a lot of people are going to turn this off. And it's not that difficult. And it's not, it shouldn't come off condescending or patronizing to want to explain a, a short backgrounder on, on whatever issue it is, whether it's domestic or international. And, but, but the problem is this behavior, it does a disservice to this field. And let me tell you something, when I started Oh My World, and I did a lot of, I do, I still do a lot of talks at universities and there's always one professor that'll come out of somewhere. And it's rare, by the way, this is really, really the rare case, but there's always one who'll come out and say, you know, don't you think that by explaining these issues in such a colloquial manner and by adding satire to it, that you're dismissing the gravity of it, or you're dismissing the severity of it. And I'm like, no, you're missing the point. People like to be entertained while learning something. And that is my goal. And I'm not making fun of sensitive situations. When I add satire to what I do, it's usually I'm making fun of world leaders because world leaders are literally absurd. It's like free content every week. They say, look at what just happened now. I, you know, I don't know when this episode will come out, so I might be dating it, but I have to add this example. This, is, this will be this week's show. Every week, there's something easy to make fun of. Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, was in India <laughs> and was asked at a press conference a question. And in response to the question, he said, well, you know, we are trying to stop this war and uh, the war that Ukraine launched on us. Sorry. And I add an accent to everything. And and the whole room burst out of la in laughter because he's like blatantly <laughs> lying. And blatantly. he doesn't seem to be aware that he's lying. And... <laughs> This is what I make fun of is I make, I, I, I point the absurdity. I use satire to, to highlight the absurdity in something. But so when professors tell me, you know, don't you think you're dismissing the severity or the gravity? I'm like, 
No, it's I am getting kids who normally who may not care normally about foreign policy. They don't have to want a career in foreign policy to care about these things. In fact, that's that would be crazy. That's it's such a small group of people. I am trying to appeal to the masses because this stuff matters. What happens abroad matters in the United States. And what, what we do in the United States matters very much abroad. And they have to understand that they have a role in that. And I use entertainment to yeah. educate on these issues. That's my real ultimate goal. But, you know, and, and so by the way, figuring that out really came, it, it started with the lunch with Gretchen, then that watching Fareed's show where the light bulb went off. And then I honed it from there, right? The idea, I kept honing it from there, the length of the show, how it would be, but going out completely on my own on YouTube, that was based on the suggestion of several of my champions uh, who, when I was telling them I was pitching it to a wide range of networks and platforms and was either getting no offers or measly offers, that's a lot of people were like, you just have to get it, figure out a budget, do it on your own, and you will see it will pay off in the future. And uh, there are times I feel the momentum and times I wonder if people are listening, but uh, but I'm still in it. I mean, <laughs> still in the rat race. Well, that's something that I wanted to ask you about actually next is because, you know, I mean, obviously this is a show about mental health in the workplace. And I feel like you have a lot to say about that, both in government and as a, an entrepreneur and as a host of your own show, probably different mental health challenges. But I want to get into some of that. First of all, I want everyone who's listening to check out an article that you wrote for Time magazine that was called uh, Mother's Day Should Be on a Monday, where you talk a lot about the demands and expectations of jobs on women, women who are mothers, women who are about to be mothers. I mean, I think you said something about working all night when you were really, really heavily pregnant and that you went mm -hmm. into, that you had early signs of labor because of that and you went to the hospital. I mean, that that type of pressure in in a, in a work environment, I wanted to ask you about whether you feel like that's just the name of the game when you're working in these really high pressure environments, if that's just something that you have to, you know, say, okay, well, if I can't handle this, then I should go do something else. Or if you really do feel like leadership, people who are supervisors, managers have the ability to do something about it. I'm so glad you asked about this. Yeah. And then as you answer that, you became your own boss eventually. So like, I also want to know, did you take any of those lessons from having supervisors to being your own supervisor? Did you find that you were treating yourself as an entrepreneur the same way you would have wanted to be treated by your boss, you know, in government, in whatever office? <laughs> or did you find that it was a lot harder actually in practice to be kind to yourself and to take those breaks and to 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 look after your mental health even when you were your own boss? Oof. So let's walk this path. Yes and no to your last question. Let's but let me and it's I, I love that you started with the Mother's Day op-ed because I am a deep believer in what I said in that op-ed, which is that this elusive work-life balance. And I hate this idea of like, you have to achieve this balance. And I'll get to that part about achieving this work-life balance as a working mother. But in that article, I still believe that it boils down to the boss. And that was the, art, the opinion I was making in that article because national security, working in national security and in media and in government, on one hand, is what it is. Media is 24-7. National security is a crisis you know, that you can't control. Government is you know not the best on this kind of work life balance balance of work life culture but that said i was i had one position in government as spokesperson where i left the office every day at 5:30 and my bosses just kind of they never asked me what i was doing they they trusted me to get my work done mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would leave every day around 5.30, get home, hang out with, at the time I had one son, uh, one young boy, I would hang out with him for a couple hours, bathe him, put him to bed, and then log back in and continue my work mm -hmm. as needed. If there was a trip, then they would reach out to me early and say like, do you have childcare for this trip? Can you make this trip? And they Amazing. knew that I would want to go on the trips. You know, they don't. Yeah. So they wanted to be supportive. They were like, 
can you make this one? Do you want to do this one? If not, you can always do the next one. Why don't you check with your husband, check with childcare, check with your parents, blah, blah, blah. Um, there was one time where my son, I needed to take him at the last minute to the, to the emergency room. And I had a rollout that day, a huge rollout of Ukraine sanctions, Russia sanctions. And this was, by the way, back in 2014. And I was the only person who knew, the only press person who knew the issue, who had the press release rolled out, planned, the, who knew what, what to answer the reporters. And I texted my boss and she was like, you don't worry about a thing. You go to the ER, do not check your BlackBerry. The team and I will pick this up wow. and handle it. And my entire team, none of them knew. I mean, the other spokespeople, we're talking spokespeople who specialized on tax, domestic finance, you know, nothing to do with <laughs> sanctions. They figured it out, learned the topic, handled it for me. That is a very unique situation, but that was a culture fostered Definitely. by the two bosses of that office. Those two bosses were women. Uh, one of whom was a mother, one of the other one was pregnant, but that wasn't really why they had this culture. It was just what they thought was normal. And, and by the way, I, the majority of my bosses in government, in my 12 years in government were men. The two jobs I'm telling you now were women. And that one was a great culture. And then I had another job where I was spokesperson and it was a living nightmare. It was 24-7, literally 24-7. And as you said, and in the op-ed, I, I believe you. This, mm -hmm. there was one time where we, my, me and my entire team had to take shifts working at night. And because of that, and I was very pregnant, and maybe I should have put my foot down and said, you know, um, you can't do this to us, or I can't do it because I'm pregnant. But I was the boss. I wasn't about to do that when my team is each taking a night shift that I wasn't going to do the same. And the next day I landed in the hospital with early labor pains. And my doctor was like, what do you think you're doing? Staying up late at night, work, doing an all nighter. Are you in school? That was how she responded. And I was like, no, I, this was my job. And she was like, yeah, no, this has to stop right now, or you're going to have a preterm labor and you don't want that. And this is the most important thing. I don't care what your boss says. And uh, and so after that, she told me I had to work from home, which I didn't. <laughs> but I did drive to work instead of taking public transportation. I drove so that I could walk the most, like the minimal amount. Yeah. And, and I did sleep. You know, I was, I had some boundaries after that, but not as much as the doctor wanted. You know, and I wish I could tell you that that was a wake up call. It wasn't because as I told you, it took me a while after leaving that job to even decide to leave altogether, even though I had been, gone through this situation. It was, you know, but at, it was after that, that I had, when I, in looking back on it, and I yeah. thought of this op-ed and I was like, you know, it's unfair. I didn't want to leave government. I yeah. loved working in the government. I still miss that. I still have that bug where, you know, you're all fighting Definitely. for a mission. You're there together doing it. And I hated feeling forced to leave because I had my second child. I just didn't think that was fair. And that's what motivated me to write that op-ed. When I launched my own business, and so I have to divide this into two, because when I launched my consulting business, I really did think I had struck that elusive yeah. work-life balance. I was like, <laughs> I have this figured out. I have two kids. I have a job that pays me more than in I was when I was in government, and I work less. And I'm lunching and doing whatever I want to do, and life is great. And I think I genuinely thought that. I think it felt like that for the first year or two. But I, I, you know, it was like I said, it was missing this mission. It was mostly clients that want yeah. coverage and publicity and I'm begging reporters to cover, you know, something of theirs. And so it felt a little bit like it was missing this mission. In all fairness, I was working part-time and listen, that's totally fine. I, like it would have been, it would have been totally fine if I, if I genuinely loved what I was doing, but I didn't. Oh, my world is what I love doing. Yeah. But to and do that's something so clear, like that, by the way. Yeah, I, it, people tell me this all the time, and it is true. You have to love doing this to do it because it is not for the faint of heart. And mm. a lot of people told me that beforehand, like you know, launching your own channel on YouTube, it's not for the faint of heart. And I'm like, I know, I know. And it's really true. You have to be really self-disciplined and self-motivated, and you you have to have the passion there to even do it because you could work 24 seven on it. And so yeah. to, we come back full circle on the, uh, and, and if you are a workaholic like me and you like to work, then you could easily fall into that pattern. And I did, 
I did. And it does catch up with you. And by the end of last year was really feeling burnout, even though I love what I do, feeling burnout. I was stressed on a level that didn't make sense. And to be fair, that's also because, and we could get into this. I lost my nanny unexpectedly. I had an investor that I thought I was getting that fell through, you know, and suddenly felt like all the weight fell on me. And I wasn't sleeping well. I would like cry randomly in the middle of the day. I was also on edge, like responding to my kids in a very snappy way or to other people. It was, I wasn't me. And I really, it was the holiday holidays came luckily, thank God, because that's always like a natural break where I was like, my health, I need to, I need to focus on my health. And that includes my mental health. And like, I need to figure this out. And since then, So really since this year, like we're in March and this only started in January where I've made this an effort and it makes a lot of difference in my work quality, in my general happiness. Um, But it it means also accepting that like, okay, you're going to go to bed and you didn't finish your work. You're, you may Mm -hmm. grow a little slower because you didn't do those extra five posts or you didn't beat that person to a video on Instagram, whatever it might be. And so you, I, I, you know, I have the ambitious, you know, workaholic person in me has to say like, no, stop, you know, you have three kids, you have to care about your heart. You have to care about your sleep. Sleep matters. Absolutely. Um, but that took, that was a, it was a wake an awakening that only just happened. It's so interesting when you say that, because when I look back at your career and when I hear you describe things that you were feeling, when you were working at that last job in the government, that was a nightmare. And talking about some of your symptoms in your own sort of, you know, you're your own boss kind of world. Some of them overlap. And I want to talk about that. I want to point that out because I think that's something that we don't really realize is that you can have burnout if you love your job. You Mm -hmm. can have anxiety if you love your job. I think it's probably conventional wisdom that if you are in a horrible job, then you you would expect to have certain symptoms like anxiety, depression, anger, burnout, you know, uh, imposter syndrome, you know, all of this stuff. It makes sense that you feel those things because it's a horrible job, whether it's because it's a toxic environment, a toxic boss, someone who overworks you, uh, you don't connect with your colleagues. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons, right? We aren't really prepared for the fact that when we do have a good job and on the surface, it feels like there's nothing to quote unquote complain about, that we can still feel those symptoms. And I I think it's I think it's great that you finally realize that, but it took you a while and it also took you a physical wake up call. Like you just, you, you, I think you were telling me when we were talking about this, that you went to the doctor and you had like a really low heartbeat or something. Mm -hmm. She said, like she said something was physically, and it took that to make you realize that you can love your job and still need to take care of your mental health. It's Mm -hmm. not just that bad jobs are in bad situations. We are constantly needing to take care of our mental health. So, you know, I wonder if you have any advice or, or kind of, lessons that you learned from your own experience, both in the bad job and the good job of how someone can learn to take care of themselves and kind of to learn how to look out for signs and maybe tell them, you know, whether you think, you know, it's so, I mean, obviously it's okay to to feel those things, whether it's, you know, even if it's in a good job. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that for others who may be experiencing the same or thinking about doing their own show or loving their job and wondering why they don't feel great all the time. Yeah. Let's, I love this. Let's unpack it a little bit because it's such an interesting thing also because of our generation. Gen Z and a lot of the people I hire are Gen Z. I love Gen Z. This is ingrained in them, right? Mental health is normal for them, taking care of yourself. I teach as well. And my students, when I told, when I taught, I spoke to this about them just yesterday about sleeping and how I'm focusing on it. And they all cheered me on. They were like, yeah. And I was like, wow, this is so new to me. Exactly. (laughs) um, You know, I knew not doing Oh My World is not an option because Mm. I love it, as you said. So it's amazing how many times, like my own family, like my husband, my parents, when they see me go through a phase like this, they're like, well, it's your own show and you're the boss. So don't do a show this week or, you know, take a break for a month. Who cares? You know? And I'm like, no, it doesn't work like that. That's it's, it's on one hand, if I want this to be successful and I do, then there needs to be a discipline to it. But on the, on the other hand, 
if I don't do it, I will feel unmotivated. I will feel, I love what I do. I live for it, but it's hard. And so I want to unpack a little bit this moment where everything kind of started to fall apart. And it is, so it was at at the end of October, 2022. And Mm -hmm. I had this meeting with this potential investor that just was awful. And, you know, the investor was, or the potential investor, sorry, I really thought was in it to win it, you know, and maybe I had misunderstood his cues for a year, but, but at the end, he did not seem interested in giving, or it was just, it was too much arguing. And it made me, it, it made me uncomfortable, the whole thing, the Mm. whole thing. And, and it just blew up in my face. And I had all these I was burned out at that point, but I kept thinking if I can just get to that meeting and get this investment, then I can hire the help I need. And then I won't be so burned out and I can just continue doing what I love. And so I, it brought me so down for that reason. It was in part just how the meeting went, but it was also because it felt like my whole dream was being zapped away from me and that I had all these expectations and plans after this investment that I suddenly, I was like, I'm starting from zero. What am I doing? And there are a lot of lessons to be learned in that. I don't know why I had all my eggs in one basket. I should have been preparing other investors. You know, I should have been seeking other ways to monetize in general, instead of just waiting for this to come through. So a lot of lessons learned, but that said, it really brought me down. And a week later, I lost my nanny unexpectedly. And so suddenly I find myself wanting, I want to continue my show. I have no money to do, to do it. Basically three kids. <laughs> um, my kids are young. They are nine and a half, seven and two and a half. And, you know, on top of it, you're encroaching the holidays, which is, you know, used to be my favorite time of year. And then you become a mother and then you're like, this season uh, sucks. I can't even imagine. So, That's so stressful. It's just like, it is a, one massive to-do list. And yeah. like on top of what you do normally, you have to add this all on, you know? And so I found myself running on zero, on like no fuel, basically, and not sleeping. And that is going to catch up with you. I, so that's when I started, like, just, I was irritable and I was snapping at the kids and I would cry for no reason at anything. And I was like, what the hell is happening to me? I remember the moment at which I, I figured out I needed to ask for help though, was during a TV hit. And it was because I wasn't paying attention to a word the anchors were saying. And they asked me a question and I'm like, what the hell did they just ask me? And I start talking. I'm good at talking, you know, and it was fine in the end, but I finished my, my rant of whatever it was. And I'm like, I don't even know what they asked me. I don't even know if what I said sounded normal because I don't know if I, if I answered their question and they seemed fine as they usually are. But that's when I was like, okay, we need to get it together. So the holidays hit. I went to a neurotherapist because I was like, I have ADD. Clearly I have ADD. And I do think I have some ADD by the way. And he listened to me and he was like, okay, honey, you have mild ADD, but you've handled a lot of it. He's like, and I am not comfortable giving you drugs for it because it will only, he was like, you're like a Ferrari and you have all this energy, like a Ferrari and you're stuck in traffic. And he was like, if I Mm. give you ADD medicine, I'm just giving the Ferrari more fuel. And then you're just going to, that's not going to help you at all. He was like, you need to slow it down a little bit. And I told him, I was like, I don't like to slow down as a rule. I am, I am, I have high energy. You probably hear how I talk. You know, my show is based on that. I can't just like slow it down. That's not my speed. And he was like, I understand you need to find a way then he was like, number one, you need to fix your sleep. I don't know why you're sleeping four to five hours a night. This is crazy. That's, like you need to fix that immediately. That is a free thing that you can do for yourself. And before sleeping, wind it down, listen to a guided meditation, which I nearly laughed at him when he said that. But by the way, I tried it and holy cow. It is great. I slept like a baby. Yeah, it's great. Exactly. So he told me this, I had a, and my annual physical right after and my, and Mm -hmm. it went great, except for, she was like, you have something called bradycardia and your heart rate is a little slow and we don't know why. And it's not that scary, but we have to figure out why, like, and monitor it. And my, both my parents have heart disease. And suddenly I was like, Oh my God, like, like that's my parents have heart disease. That's really real. I can't, yeah. Yeah. I have to take care of my heart. Like I don't, they, I have a predisposition to this and I have three young children. Like what the hell am I doing for just so that I can like, you know, run this rat race? Like, no. And 
that's when I changed. And I'm literally telling you this happened all in January. We are March now. And I have been sleeping. I focus on my sleep. It's like priority above anything else. And it has changed everything. <laughs> like I, even I feel like I, my skin is glowing <laughs> from it. You know, to, to everyone out there who did not realize, please sleep, please sleep. put yourself first. Cause yourself yeah. matters. Like if you work for yourself, it's so easy. You, you can, there aren't enough hours in the day. You could easily work twenty four seven and put all this pressure on yourself. Like, oh, look at what this person did, and I, I didn't get there fast enough. And no, tune the noise out, and yeah, you know, and just be comfortable, enjoying the process of growing, even if it may not be as fast as you would like. And this is how I came full circle on the investor thing too. I am not taking an investor mm. now, uh, so I own it a hundred percent. I'm making all the decisions. I found other ways to monetize and it forced me that meeting forced me to do that. I found ways to get sponsorship. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like the biggest one. And I am finding ways to hire people, the people I wanted to help me. So that's so that I'm not doing everything myself. It may not be all full-time people that, you know, that I hope it's part-time, but that's fine. Like it's, at this, at the end of the day, I can still continue doing what I'm, what I love to do. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. What you said reminds me of something I spoke about with another guest. It's another episode, um, uh, with a, one of my really good friends. She's an amazing woman as well. Her name is Florence Gobb. And she said something that I thought was really interesting that you're alluding to, which is that we forget sometimes that we are our most precious resource So when you're thinking about resources in terms of, you know, whether you're a business or a manager in an organization or the head of the organization, and you're looking at all your resources, you're looking at your funds, your money, what's coming in, you're looking at your people, you're looking at all this, you forget to include yourself in that list of resources. And that's the most important one, because actually, no matter what you're doing, if you're not taking care of that resource, nothing else works because everything is built around that. So I'm really glad that you that you mentioned that and and the, the fact that you came to that realization and the fact that you did manage to slow down, even though it absolutely is not in your nature. I've known you for <laughs> years now. I, Hagar and slow down just doesn't even make sense. But I see it a lot in young creators, especially on mm-hmm. Twitter, on, on social media, which is a whole other topic. And I mean, it's so damaging in so many ways, but I see so many creators, you know, talking about the burnout, the stress, the constant worry about how I'm going to post and when I'm going to post and I need to monetize. So I need to be my own brand and I need to do this. And it actually never ends. And I found myself falling into that same trap a few weeks ago where I, you know, I, I'm starting this podcast. I've been working on it for, for months. The idea has been a couple of years old now. But it's just like you. I love it. And I absolutely love everything that I'm doing around it. And I am my own boss for the first time in my life, which is scary, but exhilarating. I'm For everyone else who's doing it, they will understand. But I found myself a couple of weeks ago feeling really burnt out as well and and really just having no energy to do anything. And it got to the point where I wasn't really enthusiastic anymore. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then I finally realized it's because I was thinking 24 seven about how about social media. When I would read an article, instead of focusing on the article, I was drafting tweets in my head about Mm. the article and wondering what the best tweet would be and what time I should tweet it. And what about Instagram? And I need to do more videos. And so nothing became enjoyable anymore because instead of, you know, when I first started doing this a few months ago, I would wake up every day thinking, I can't believe it is now my job to learn and to share that knowledge with other people. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. But you can start going down, you know, unhealthy paths if you're not really, if you don't keep coming back to that initial goal of yours, to that initial, like, why did you start doing it? It's not so you can have 2 million followers on Twitter. It's so you can learn and share with people what you know, right? And just mm-hmm. coming back to that again and again. So, yeah, I thought that was something that I I had to learn the hard way as well. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened to you is just you had to come back to 
wait, why am I doing this? And what is it that I wanted to do? Everything else just takes second place after that. Yeah. You know, you make you, on social media, I want to, this point, because I have to continue reminding myself of this, which is if you also, if you post something um, or you want to post something because you're thinking this is a trending thing, this will get me a bunch of followers. This will get me a bunch of likes and views, blah, 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 blah. That is an unrealistic, harsh expectation to put on yourself. And it is not a good reason mm. to go on social media because then you are, you're just, then you're going to, it's going to be, you know, you're screwing with your own mind. And I'm trying to say that with a nice word, <laughs> right? Yes, and exactly. It's, it's, and, and so sometimes I will do that. There's news that's breaking and I see all the other news related people on Instagram or TikTok coming out there quickly with a video. And I'm like, I need to do that too. I need to do that too. Yes. But maybe, but maybe that week I don't have time for that for X, Y, Z reason. It could be any reason. And I, it's, I have to be more mindful about it and be like, number one, stop. Like there will always be breaking news. There will be another always. crisis next week. You know? Yeah. Number two, that's not the right reason. Because if I do that, you really, no one can crack this code perfectly on social media. I have videos that have had hundreds of thousands of views and videos that I was certain would meet the same that got like it, like 300. And then it brings you down. That's not, yeah. no, like you can't play that game. And this industry lends itself to that. Like, I can't tell you how many meetings I have with people in LA who are part of this world. Or when I do talks at schools and they're like, well, how many views do your videos get? And how many blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, you're missing the point. And I can give you it's my hard, numbers yeah. and they're not bad. I know I'm not like, I have nothing to hide. Um, the numbers are actually really, really pretty good, but that's not, if I live by that, then it, I won't be trying to work on my mission. My, oh, my world is a mission based, based brand. The mission yes. is to raise awareness of these geopolitical issues that matter and to do it in an easy and fun way, because I believe that by raising this awareness, you can fundamentally change the world for the better. And yes. I have to keep reminding myself of that. So even when I get one comment, and this is true, when I get one, and I have these kind of like core fans and I love them and they're, they're strangers. They don't know them. I mean, I don't yeah. consider them strangers. They're like friends now, you know, but they're on YouTube and on Instagram and they comment on every single episode or post. And I tell them this, and this is true, that they keep me going. If it's just one person and they're like, Absolutely. this, you know, wow, you opened my eyes on this issue. I had no idea. And I'm like, oh my God, you were, this is why I do this. Thank you. Like you're exactly. keeping me going. So this is the point on social media. I, and I'm going to close with one more piece of advice that I want to make sure I share because this was super valuable. And, and as you can see a theme for me, and it always has been through my entire government career and now are my network of champions and mentors. And even after that devastating investor meeting, the first thing I did was reach out to my network of mentors and investor uh, mentors and champions to fig to help me figure out my next step. And they really woke me up. This is how I got to the point of like, okay, Hagar, monetize yourself. It is a recession. It's not a good time to raise money because it's going to be expensive money. They're going to want a big chunk of my business and that's not fair. And yeah, you know, yeah. so that's how I got to this, but I, but I will close with one key piece of advice that my, one of my business advisors, she's also my entertainment attorney and mentor, Jennifer justice, who is like the badass of badasses. She was Jay-Z's lawyer. She um, <laughs> ran rock nation for him. And then she left rock nation when she, Amazing. when she discovered that women were, you know, not being paid fairly in the industry, not being advocated for and started her own boutique firm called the justice department. Her name is Jennifer justice where she has oh. only female clients, only women. And she advocates for them and advises them and so on and does a bunch of stuff for them. So I met with her in December at the end of December, like right before Christmas and told her my whole story and the whole thing. And I meet with her regularly and she was like, Hagar, you're doing, so she started first. She was like, why are you doing social media? You need a social media person for Oh My World. Mm -hmm. You know, why are you doing all the writing, all the production, all the, you're going to kill yourself. You're not going to grow this way. What are you doing? And I looked at her and I was like, well, yeah, but that was what the investor was for, was to help me with this. She was like, okay, we need to walk back. She was like, you are not working efficiently or smartly. Yeah. And she was like, are you the best at, you know, X, Y, Z insert like plumbing? No, that's why you hire a plumber. She yeah. said, it's the same for, for this. You cannot be doing everything. You're not going to grow. And she said, so let's find ways to monetize that make sense. 
and that where you're not killing yourself. And so one of them was obviously sponsorship. And another one she said, she advised me on, I didn't really want to do it, but she was right, which was, she was like, why don't you take on a client for your consulting business? Take on a client, a project Mm -hmm. that you can get behind, that you like the mission where the money is fair and, and use that money to hire these people. And she was right. And, and I really believe there's something, you know, the world, there are stars that align and there are things that are meant to be. Two days later, a former client I really loved reached out to me and said, you know, we've got this project. Are you sure you're not taking clients anymore? Can you help us? And I was like, I would love to help you. And they're a nonprofit and an amazing cause and mission. So like I'm personally invested in it, you know, something I feel really strongly about. And then I can use those funds. That's how I'm hiring these part-time, this part-time help. Exactly. And she was right. She was right. You know, and that was a, that seems obvious. That should seem obvious to people, but it's not, it was not that obvious when you're in it. Um, and it was, hands down with the most pa- valuable pieces of advice I got at the, it, through this process that has informed how Oh My World will grow this year. Yeah, I think that when you are doing something that is kind of your baby and it's your it's your thing and you're trying to build something from scratch, I think sometimes we can feel like it's almost like a betrayal or it's wrong or it's a wrong it's a wrong use of our time to do other things while we're building our baby, uh, so to speak, or our project, or like we're selling out by having to go and do something. But actually, you're just giving yourself more space and more time. And if that means having less time to work on your passion project, that's fine, because you're not in a rush. It's going to happen, but you want to do it the right way. So if it means going out, taking a side job, doing something to give yourself money to do the thing that you want to do and love, just maybe a little bit slower, Mm-hmm. it's smarter. So slower and smarter is better than, you know, the opposite. So I think that's a really good piece of advice. And it's a really good way to close out the show. Um, I just want to tell everyone that's listening or watching, please go watch Hagar's show. I love it. I think it's so smart. And it's so funny. And it really just does look like you are having the best time while you're doing this, which just makes me smile when I'm watching it. So I definitely recommend so just go Oh my world on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, And I would recommend reading the article. I'm going to put this all in the episode notes that you wrote on um, how Mother's Day should be on a Monday. I think everyone should read it. And thanks again for coming on. I had a great time talking to you. Thank you, Jasmine. It was so much fun. You and I could talk literally forever. I I hope people's ears aren't bleeding after this. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Join me next week as I chat with top anesthesiologist, Dr. Helgi Johansson on resilience, maintaining faith in humanity when faced with the worst of human behavior and the emotional impact of treating trauma victims. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review and share with your friends to help us get these conversations to people who need to hear them.